third time's a charm. Joel just saved us from an awkward <laughs> conversation down the road. Um, so I'm here with Joel. We had to start over because it is raining harder than I've ever seen it rain here before. And I, I've been through some, some shit. The, the rainy plains of white stains. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Coming to you live from White Plains, New York, for now. See? So me and Joel know each other. We go back a few years. And it's a guest I should have had on a long time ago. I'm shocked you don't have a podcast. I, I've, I said it on the way here. I'm going to say it again live. So that way I can get you peer pressured into starting a podcast. Yeah. You know, we'll see how this goes for right now. I'm enjoying the uh, the Instagram life. Yeah. And solely the Instagram life. Um, <laughs> you, you never know, know what the future You holds. never know. I mean, we'll see how this goes. If this blows up. Yeah, who knows, man? Maybe I'll have to... And for those of you who are listening and don't know Joel, follow him on Instagram. He's got a well-followed, well-done Instagram, and you can see your marketing background and everything you do. Yep. Um, You know, we'll hop into that, but I have an Instagram. It's at ops47, fully spelled out for mediocre photos of airplanes and the uh, private pilot... Uh, private jet pilot life. <laughs> it's more, you're fine, man. Um, so the background for that is Ops 47s our main vehicle in Westchester. So in case any of you um, in the, because we have a big following in uh, Sweden. So oh. any of you in Sweden, now you know uh, Ops 47, that's where it came from. So uh, we'll get into it kind of. Joel, what's cool about what you did so far is you're one of the people that didn't go to school for aviation and just still found yourself in the industry. That, and, is, uh, that is true. Yeah. yeah. So you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I knew I always wanted to work in aviation. I always wanted to be a pilot. I uh, went to college and got a, a normal four-year degree in something totally away from aviation, in public relations, to have something as a backup for when, when aviation ultimately always takes a downturn. Uh, and the industry goes goes upside down. So I got a four-year degree in public relations uh, from Texas Tech University, Rackham Tech, and I graduated in 2017 and knew that I wanted to work in aviation. I wanted nothing to do with public relations, nothing to do with people, nothing. I wanted to go work in, airport, yeah. in, in aviation. Yeah. And uh, so I moved to New York, and I started working at one of the FBOs here at Westchester County Airport, because when you want to get into aviation, what's the best way to get in? Go work at a FBO and start slinging bags and work in the front desk and, you know, meeting people and going from there. And within a few months, I met the assistant airport manager and a... Shout out Ferg. Shout out Ferg and Luke, uh, a past airport operations supervisor. And we got to talking and uh, they had me send my resume over and Two weeks later, I think I was hired. Yeah, and we got hired at like the same time. Yeah. So we literally go back, back. Yeah. Because that, that was an interesting point in my life too. But you know, I had the privilege of going to an aviation school, and I think if I went back, who knows? Because like you did the right thing with it. As long as you do the right thing and you end up doing like the experience part of it, like that degree holds a lot of weight. So um, that's one thing I tell a lot of people is just keep that in mind. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be an aviation degree. That just you know <laughs> the huge thing about aviation is aviation degrees are very small finite hard to attain hard to find a college to go to very costly um and a lot of these jobs in aviation just require a college degree right. they don't require a uh you know that that focus on aviation management or you know how to how to design a taxiway they don't focus on that so it is possible for someone that has uh, 
a normal four-year degree that has a passion for aviation, has knowledge about aviation, you can get into the industry yeah. without question. Absolutely. And that's something that intimidates a lot of people. So I think I've talked about that in the past, but Joel's proof that, you know, hey, you get where you want it if you have the, the vision. So he started in airport ops, and he's one of the many people that don't know what airport ops is until they touch it a little bit. And uh, from there, it just took off. And, you know, uh, did I mention already? I know we, one of the first tries, we were, we were the photographers for a while. So, yeah, I don't think we talked about that on here. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody at home that's listening presumably is well aware. And, you know, that's something we clicked on for a while. And uh, through thick and thin, yep. like I said. Um, and, you know, it's it's something that really sparked an interest in into, you know, our unique, um, what we got going on in Westchester. Because we really do have a very unique airport and you Instagram did a great job of showing just what goes on yeah I remember the day it was I don't know maybe a month or two into after I had started the Instagram and you like sent a screenshot sent me a text and you were like bro you shoot DSLR and I was didn't even know what DSLR meant I had to google it I was like (laughs) oh that's the camera that I'm using yeah and uh and like we clicked right there and then it was Mm -hmm. it was to the moon yeah um but I started the Instagram because all I could think about every day at work was this job is awesome. I gotta I gotta show the people how cool this job is. I have the coolest job in the world. Yeah. I can stand hundred and fifty feet from the center line of a main runway and watch a hundred and fifty thousand pound jet take off in front of my face. Yeah. This is awesome. You know? And that was the the main goal of or the main idea for when I started this Instagram was right. to, to showcase a cool job. And I do apologize. I'll get this on the record right now. And a lot of people at home are going to sigh and be like, oh, Dave, what are you doing? I was part of the problem for a while. Because I, for the longest time, I, I saw what could happen if you're, if you're not careful with Instagrams. And it has nothing to do with, you know, yourself. But it has to do with how people interpret it. You know, at an airport where Westchester is 80% corporate traffic, um, those 80% of people, they live in different worlds. Um, yes. They don't, <laughs> they don't see things the way we see things. So, you know, I... It was pretty hard about it, but I think looking back now, it's just great. You know, it's a way to showcase, you know, your interest in aviation and, like you said, to show what goes on. I can just say it now anyways because really, like, there's an umbrella put over Westchester County Airport. They don't want to kind of... Um, they, they don't want the airport to be known. Yeah. They don't want the airport to be talked about. Exactly. They, they just want the airport to... Exist. To exist. <laughs> to have planes take off and land, nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, and that's, you know what, and, that, and you know, that's the prerogative, that's fine. That's just, you know, it's just not what I believe in, which is why uh, I have announcements coming soon. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that. There's nothing wrong with it. Some airports are different. Like, Orange County is notoriously the same thing. Burbank, um, something in common with all those, yeah. those areas. Yep. At times, uh, it's it makes things tough, but my, what was my point with that? Anyways, check <laughs> it out the Instagram and just, I'll, I'll tell the story actually. Why I, shout out to Matty Ice at home. Okay, okay, um, Matty Ice. Matty Ice, Matt M, I'm not going to use your last name, but I want to say it because it's cool. For the longest time, thought I was going to work at Logan. Um, I did my internship there, I got fortunate. Things didn't shake out right away for me and I I didn't really know how to, to take it, so I was like, I should go work ops at another airport. I didn't really know what to do. But when I was in Bedford, obviously, we had a lot of traffic to Westchester. So I was like, I wonder what Westchester has going on, because yeah. it has commercial, it has everything that interests me. And uh, I, <laughs> and the more I looked, the more I couldn't find anything. 
and I thought that was a little unique. Yeah, I found Tri-State Aviation. Do you know how to spell it off the top of my head? Yeah, Tri-State. Oh, I'm sorry. Is there an underscore or something? I, th- I think it's just <laughs> one word. I think it's Tri-State is one, and then Aviation is... Uh, is the other one. So he has a good amount of followers, so it's well-followed as well. Yep. And uh, Tri-State underscore Aviation. 6,800 followers? Oh, what my the? God, man. Good <laughs> for you, kid. We got to give this kid a swirly, bro. Wow. Yeah, he's the, oh, my God. He's but, putting me to shame. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, he's a young kid, too, so he's got more in the tank left to give. So he's going to school for aeronautical engineering, I believe. But anyways, my point with that is I used his Instagram to kind of show because he was a plane nerd in the White Plains area and posted things without repercussion because, you know, he's a 16-year-old kid at the time. He's a 16-year-old kid taking photos from outside the fence. (laughs) Exactly. There's no repercussions. There's no repercussions there. No, to be fair, we are a spotter-friendly airport, so anybody at home that's interested, we are spotter-friendly. And I didn't know really what was going on. So Matt was the one, his Instagram really sold me on on Westchester. Like, I already had an idea. I kind of wanted to work in Westchester because it was close to New York. I had friends there at the time. Dowling, rest in peace. Matt's Instagram was what... That's just the power of it, you know? Like, I made a career decision based off of influence from a Instagram of a teenager at the time. (laughs) Time flies, too. I don't think he's a teenager anymore. I don't think so. (laughs) I I think that, like, for a while, that's, like, hypocritical to what I I believed. And, and, um, you know, part of life is just kind of making the adjustments. So there's a couple things we want to talk about today. And, like, it kind of leads into... Like, you really enjoy it. We both, like, we wear our jobs on our sleeves. I said that before. Like, when things are good, it's good. When things are bad, it's bad. And we take that home with us. Absolutely. So kind of what I want to talk about, you know, is the importance of finding a job that makes you happy. <laughs> I don't, I mean, that sounds self-explanatory, but it escapes so many of us. It escapes, yeah. No, there's a there's something about finding a job that gives you the quality of life that you want you need and you deserve Mm -hmm. and it's not always easy but it's out there and knowing also when to set your limits on how much you're going to give to a job to give to give yourself that quality of life that you need A, a lot of these jobs in aviation will do what they can to suck your soul dry and exploit you and use you until you're burnt out beyond all belief Mm -hmm. um and it's a huge thing that i am a I will gladly speak out on and tell you, like, you need to take care of yourself first. The job doesn't care about you. The job will replace you. And that goes for anybody at any job. Exactly. In any part of this world. This isn't, this, uh, to make this clear, this is not directed at any place in particular. No. This is just, in general, the way we see aviation right now is people burning out left and right. Everybody's understaffed because everybody's leaving. Yeah. Um, um, the industry, especially right now, with this COVID rebound and everything, yeah. people are being expanded to the end. Yeah. You know, everyone. I've got friends that work for the airlines, that work for the ramp, that work in all different aspects of aviation. Everyone's pulling long hours, long weeks, working double overtime, barely spending time at home, turning around, sleeping at the office. Crazy stuff. And the return that you're getting on it, the money is not... What, yeah, at what point is it at, not what worth it anymore? Exactly. You know, you're you're not taking care of yourself. You know, we can talk about all the hours of overtime that we've worked where I was talking to someone today about it, how I worked so much overtime at one point that I didn't eat food at home for like a week because I'd just wake up, stop at the deli, grab a bacon, egg, and cheese, go to work, 
Oh, I'm working overtime today. Chinese food lunch? Paid for it. No problem. Dinner? Well, there's probably leftover Chinese or we'll order some Italian heroes or something like that. And then I'd go home, sleep for eight hours, wake up, do it again the next day. Yeah. And it was literally <laughs> killing me. Yeah, and it's just tough because how do you start a life like that? Because at the end of the day, we're here for one spin around the world. I don't think that's a saying. I think I got in the ballpark, though. You know, we are only here for so long and we spend so much time at work like no matter what most of our life is going to be at work so when i see 40 hours at work i that's great it's a baseline though for a lot of people and they want to expand that so like when people talk to me about um i'll just like the port authority in new york new jersey so in the union rings i know it's a rotating shift and stuff and there's a great chance for overtime and I, t- I was told the story of one person who worked so much overtime in one year they made like $135,000 and he was like talking about how crazy it is that somebody like that's checking FOD is making 135000 and I'm like that's great but he's pulling doubles every day yeah he's burning himself out there's no chance at a life outside of work when you do that yeah. we're playing the middle ground here we're not saying like you don't give yourself extend yourself when like you have to you know yeah. like there's obviously job responsibilities and times you have to work but like the mindset is really what we want to focus in on here because Joel found good for you. Um, he transitioned from the ops world to the flying world pretty quickly. Now you're flying. Have we talked about the citations yet? So uh, yeah, so I left uh, airport ops after uh, four years on the job. I fly a citation full time uh, in the the corporate slash private jet world. So we do both uh, owner flights and charter. And I have now the amazing opportunity to experience uh, what it's like to be a professional pilot. I've been doing this for the past almost nine months now. Wow, time flies, bro. Time flies, <laughs> yeah. And there's a similar story. We have somebody, and I know he listens, Luke, what's up? So a lot of people that work ops do transition to pilot. It's a great stepping stone job. Fantastic. And it helps you understand, like you see things I'm sure differently as a pilot now with the ops experience. Absolutely, the the airport ops experience has set my, my knowledge as a pilot 10 times above what my other friends know. The things that I can point out and talk about and have the understanding of versus what basic like flight instruction teaches you, it's such a difference. And it, it's already helped me throughout like in my career so far, the few months <laughs> that I've been <laughs> flying professionally, but even before then, during my training and all of that, just having the understanding of what's going on on the other side makes a huge difference, especially just flying into some of these smaller airports, having to have the conversations with the airport operator or the ops guy that's out on the airfield, trying to understand what the construction is being done, what's actually closed, what's missing, what needs to, you know, yeah. What I need to know to safely operate an airplane into that airport. That's what we're there for, baby. That's it. Yeah. Um, and even like for, and you, you remember when I was like, I want to fly Swift Air 737s. Uh, those were the days, bro. So if, like uh, some of, some people, like I have ADHD, I could never do it, <laughs> unfortunately. And I wear that on my sleeve. Um, it's unfortunate. But uh, the you could still find ways to enjoy aviation in some way, shape, or form, no matter what your end goal is. And so Joel is very happy, I'm sure, flying at 45,000 feet. Um, and he, he called us on Unicom once, and I was like, why does that sound? You said the tail number. I was like, that sounds familiar. Who is this? And uh, <laughs> I just heard, hey, uh, there's a guy, Joel. <laughs> 
I was like, oh, I know who that is. And uh, so, and then shout out Luke. He actually did it like a day or so later. Oh, did like, he really? Oh, yeah, oh yeah. that's funny. Imagine. So we do appreciate it. This small world aviation is a very small world. It um, is. The point is, if you like planes, there's a job out there for you. But you have to make sure you're happy first. Absolutely. I'm super fortunate now. My schedule is uh, 14 days on, 14 days off. So for 14 days, I'm tied to the job. I'm tied to the airplane. Wherever it goes, I go. Wherever it stays, I stay. Um, but then I go home, and I have 14 days off. So I really work six months a year. So your quality of life you enjoy? My, my quality of life is like through the roof right now. Awesome. It's amazing. I come home. I don't have to answer my phone. I don't look at emails. I don't look at the, the flight schedule. I don't look at anything because it doesn't matter to me. Right. I get an email three days before I have to leave that says, you're flying to this airport, and you're going to pick up the airplane here. Cool. Okay. Cool. That's great. I was just away for 14 days. Did you say it's based somewhere? You don't have to say where. I, um, it it's, a, it's a floating fleet. So okay. uh, the airplane just moves around, and I airline out to it, pick it up, fly it around for two weeks, and then drop it off and leave and come home. That's awesome. And that's a lot of um, private aviation for you. There's a lot of perks into flying private aviation. I know everybody's trying to go airline right now, and I get it, but consider it because you're – you start as a low-time pilot, but you're slowly building up your time. Yeah. And um, you can do whatever you want now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was super fortunate. I got hired at 500 hours into a commercial or a, a, a transport category right. uh, jet. You're flying passengers. I'm flying passengers. We're flying at 45,000 feet, twin mm -hmm. turbine, citation. Like, it's amazing. And I got hired at 500 hours, 1,000 hours to go to my ATP. And for the next... 700 hours now I will still be operating jets and when the 1500 comes around and I'm ready for the next big step I will be ready to go baby. ready to go ahead of the game <laughs> so to speak but even then I, I intend to stand in corporate aviation for the rest of my career because it's something that I enjoy yeah and you set yourself up for it so that's what's another good thing I don't need to keep plugging airport ops but you put yourself in a perspective to build your career the way you want to build it so you said I want to fly not just fly, I want to fly in corporate aviation. So what do you do now? You're flying in corporate aviation. It yeah. seems to be that way no matter what you do. Like we know somebody, uh, shout out Mike in Michigan, checking airports out there. Um, i got to send him this. I don't think he listens. But, but he's flying yeah, to he's, check these airports. He's getting yeah. paid to fly an airplane yeah. by his... There's so many cool jobs in aviation yeah. nobody even knows about, um, including obviously, like I said, Oz, but like uh, somebody was telling me the other day, that there's a, somebody at airlines, let's say like you're at United and you want to start a service to an airport, they send somebody out there to make sure that it's a safe to operate out of there. So like if you're starting service to like Tokyo or something, guess who's going out there? Tokyo. And you're inspecting the whole airport and you're out there. And that's a well-paying job. That's yeah. a corporate level job. So like those cool jobs are, are out there, man. You know, I don't know. I feel good about where we are. I mean, I, I enjoy personally airport life. I like being neutral. Yeah. Um, and again, Airport Ops is a great place even to just start out. And you can find your way from that first job in Airport Ops because the wide variety of things that you'll do in that career for even a year, mm -hmm. you can find what part of aviation you really want to push yourself towards, where you want to be. Do you want to stay in operations? Do you want to go to management? Do you want to go to ARF? Do you want to go to terminal? Do you want to leave the airport side of things do you want to go to the fbo side do you want to go to the private side do you want to go work for a corporate company a flight coordinator some you know Anything. so many things yeah and these are just a few things i'm listing off from 
us working at Westchester. Yeah. If you were going to go to another airport. You'd double you, it. You could double it, yeah. you know? You know, that's one thing we're going to talk about, too, and we'll get to it, um, about how you want to, you know, make sure you're doing a lot of things, but you don't want to do too much. Uh, but for now, you know, things, uh, like, what do you do outside of work? Like, how do you keep yourself detached? Because one thing for me is I have such a hard time detaching. When I'm, like, right now, I'm on my two weeks off. Unfortunately, not unfortunately, I enjoy it. I love aviation. Most of my time off, not most of it, a decent portion, probably 40% of my time off is spent with friends in aviation or talking about aviation or giving some mentorship and, you know, help with some people that are trying to come up and get started in aviation or find their path and where they want to end up. And so uh, that's how I spend a solid 40% of my time off. And then the other 60% I spend with my girlfriend and other friends and, you know, out in New York City enjoying the weather and the food and sights to see. Just trying to keep my mind clear, pretty much. You know, I, I go out, I go for runs, I go for walks, I stay active and try not to be too sedentary because for the two weeks that we're on the road, can get pretty sedentary. You're flying, you know, eight, ten hour days. You're sitting in the cockpit for more than that. You know, it, it gets pretty sedentary on the road. So when I'm off, I try and capitalize on on the freedom to go for a run and go for a walk and enjoy some time away from waiting for that next call for the ASAP trip or, you know, waiting for the owner to call to say, hey, we're leaving a couple hours early. So it's, uh, it's enjoyable. That's good. That's good advice. Because a lot of people, like I said, aviation is one of those industries, like, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that love accounting or whatever um, they'd be working in. If you like aviation, there's a good part, good chance that outside of work, you're going to be still immersed in aviation. Like, for a while, I was checking passer and stuff, seeing what was coming in, what am I missing? And it's so hard to, to detach from that because, you know, you're finally where you dreamed about being. So what are you going to do? You're going to dream about yeah. more. So... I can't stress enough, I talk about outlets, how important outlets are. And that's one thing that was good about when we were taking photos is it's, it was in a way an outlet. Um, you know, our job isn't 100 miles an hour for eight hours a day. For us, it's 10 hours. And I, hot take, I don't like the 10-hour shifts. Oh, I wish we were on 10 hours. Really? Yeah. I, I liked it at first, but I, I realized, I mean, maybe this is just me, but I feel like those extra two hours, it burns the rest of the day. It's hard for me to want to do anything outside of work because you feel like you're just burnt i do understand that you know the the eight to six seven to five yeah uh you know you get home and you've, you've lost two hours i get that but you get the extra day extra out day of off, it i know and so i know it is nice it's i i i, I, I would have always loved to work a, a three four or four three four yeah. tens however you want to call it this yeah this might be an early hot take maybe i'll be eating my words in a month or two but regardless that was, anyways, um, my point was more uh, that outside of work, you need to make that time count. Absolutely. Like the, the photography, that's what it is. The photography. Even inside work. Inside of work, point. if you can take a few minutes for yourself every day. Mm-hmm. That's again, so no matter important. what job you have, just taking some time. Yeah. You know, it was great. My favorite part about working C-Shift was we'd get in at 3 o'clock and we would hustle for probably... An hour and a half, two hours. We get all the contractors squared away. We get all the inspections done. We get the fire trucks squared away. We would get the airport into autopilot, mm-hmm. and we would get the airport into a into a solid state. And then about five five thirty in the afternoon, right the in time for golden hour. The, the sun's coming down, 
and you know everyone's coming in for the evening you go park over by the runway and you sit for 20 minutes yeah. you get some photos you watch some airplanes land you just enjoy you get some fresh air and then you get back to it yeah and, and the time to detach like that helps you that helps push you through the next six hours of work it took was, a breather you took a breather and you're enjoying at the root of it you're enjoying why you like your job in the first place absolutely and i can't stress either times where i'm not even taking photos i'm just sitting and watching the traffic it's tough because some managers don't agree with that mentality you know i don't, I don't think it's local like i don't want to say like i know that most i've been fortunate to have managers that are cool with the photography and stuff like that and i'm pretty sure everybody there now and everybody's been great but i know there's probably people listening there to like whether you're at work you're there to work yeah and sure that's right absolutely yeah but it's not eight hours straight of work yeah i let people enjoy some things about work and you'd be surprised as soon as you start giving them a little more of a reason, they'll they'll work harder and they won't leave. Yeah. Turnover rate is, no matter where you go right now, skyrocket. Like not skyrocket. It's as high as it's ever been. Yeah. People don't shut up about it. I can't remember the last time that I landed somewhere and I, we didn't have to wait for a ground crew. You know, it's not like just yeah. flying around. I don't know if you see it at all when you're going to FBOs and stuff, but every once in a while, you know, it varies with everywhere that you go. Um, we do a lot of flying in Florida and. The, the Florida FBOs seem to be fairly well-staffed right now. Jose, what's up, bro? From Signature, you know where he is right now? Orlando. Yeah. Big Orlando. Small world, man, because we have friends that work there now, and they all ended up on their own path that yeah. crisscrossed together. That's funny. Yeah, in such a unique way. And they, they one of them drove by, and I was like, that's Jose. Imagine that. And, like, I'm sure you're going to have something like that when you're flying. Yeah. You see somebody, and it's like, oh, wow, what are you doing over here? What were we talking about before that? Uh, we were talking about how you got to take time for the job. Yeah, yeah. take time for the job, right? Because at the end of the day, like you said, you know, the airport's always going to be there. The airline, for the most part, is always going to be there in one way, shape, or form. And the same thing goes for, like, anything else. It's important that it's a two-way street. Yep. It can't be a one-way street. You can't compromise your well-being. You can't compromise your career. You know, if you have a family at home, that's got to be a big reason for, you know what you do but it can't be the only reason to work all the overtime you can work you know yeah, what i'm saying because there comes a point especially if you have a family at home yes you want to work hard you want to provide for the family but if you're working so much that you're not even home to see the family are you really benefiting at the end of the day right and this is something i was talking to my friend earlier today and i told him you know that there came a point where I was working, again, so much overtime here, and it got to a point where it was just too much. And I stopped, and I went from averaging 60 to 70 hours a week. That's no exaggeration. 60 to 70 hours a week I was working. So that was an extra it was an extra week a month that I was squeezing into, my, into, into work. And I went to 40 hours a week. Yeah. And my quality of life improved drastically. Just from that. Just from that. Yeah. Just, just from... Work like cutting back on work, working a standard eight-hour shift five days a week, and taking all that extra time. It's baby steps, you know. So for me, I think the past year or so has been tough, um, just with school, but I just haven't been Dave, you know. And so I think a big part of that is realizing what you can and can't control. Like you said, just making small adjustments. So at some point, I just I was like, I can't keep burning myself out, you know. Again, this isn't directed at specifically where we work it's this is a industry-wide thing right now yeah this is industry-wide again every part of aviation everybody's being overworked everyone's being Mm -hmm. worked to the bone and you know i 
it, it is fairly prevalent in airport ops because I have friends in airport ops throughout the Some world. Some people love it, man. <laughs> and, and people love this job, but they also realize that they are working a lot, too much. And when, when you take a breath and you take a step back, even if it's a smaller step back, you cut back from 60 hours to 50 hours, yeah. that 10 hours a week makes a big difference in your life. And I promise you, like, the money's going to be there. One way or another. The money's always going to be there. But having that extra time to be there for you is huge and is worth more than whatever that overtime differential is. Um, it's a, It pays its dues in, like you said, quality of life. And I had a point. This is the ADHD I was talking about. Okay. Oh, for the managers. Like I said, not everybody's going to agree. So there's one person I know who uh, eats the overtime. You know, that's a common phrase, eat the overtime. Yeah. A lot of those people, they don't understand. That was... Was that thunder? That was thunder. I saw lightning out the window, and I, I didn't know if that was lightning or, like, a light. How cool is it that can hear? We should really play it up right now. That's <laughs> really something. Yeah. What was I saying? It was... Uh, the, for the managers, uh, so, overtime. Yeah, I'll start it here. So, I'll say this. There's a lot of managers that they don't agree with everything we're talking about. People, I find, and this is something I was taught, too, is people value two things. It's either the money... Or the lifestyle, like the quality of life. Because it's usually mutually exclusive. Like you, one, you have one, but you don't have the other. Correct. It's pretty, you, so you need to find that balance. Yep. And so what's, what we're saying now is you got to find that balance. But a lot of managers don't believe like it's the operational need. Let me tell you, there's more than one way of operating. And no matter what industry you're in, yep. um, there's always a way to figure it out. There's always a way to make the pieces work. Like I said, the airport is going to be the airport. And a lot of times, being a good supervisor or a good manager or whatever is just letting the airport operate as it's supposed to. So if, yeah, Joel, if you come to me and you're, I'm, you're like, I'm working 60 hours a week, I'm not going to be taking the overtime I once was. Yeah. Who am I to be like, yeah. well, I'm working this overtime. Why aren't you? Yeah. It's just, it's so backwards and it just can't happen. I don't know if you have any experiences with that. You know, I, 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 can, I can just cut say it out. that, you know, the... Uh, Taking the time off, even cutting back a little bit, it helps. It's, I'm not telling anyone to never work overtime for the rest of your life. Every once in a while, we're bored. We got nothing to do this week. Okay, I'll work some overtime. Let me make some extra money. I want to go buy this new iPhone. Work some overtime. Whatever it is. Get that lens. But but don't don't make it your life that you're just working to work to work the overtime, to be the, the the leader for the month or the leader for the quarter on how many hours oh, I worked, you know? Because I remember it's a very toxic, it's, it's a very toxic environment to get into where we are showing off how much we worked. And I remember there's photos that pop up on my Snapchat memories of a 77-hour work week, an 82-hour work week. What is going on? I was like, I was showing off i was like oh look how much i worked this week 82 hours i don't think i slept mm -hmm. you know i know it's, it's, it's an adjustment and also there everything is extremes so there are people that take the job and they don't want to do any overtime and those people are difficult to work because maybe they didn't know what they were signing up for because there are times in aviation where you do have to work and it is what you signed up for like when it snows god damn everyone will tell you the snow sucks you know, there's other operational needs, and you know whether you like it or not. You know, sometimes you might have to work that shift. 
So we're not like the the point is to find the balance. Yeah, there's a happy medium. Yes, they're always and that's the best way to live. And you know, admittedly, this is me on the record saying like I've been too far at one extreme for a while. So like you have to recognize. Step one is recognizing. Yeah. What you're doing to yourself. Because sometimes you don't realize when you get oh this is exciting oh I'm working a lot of overtime oh I'm making a lot of money oh wow look at how much money got deposited in my bank account today wow yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, when you that number you're like whoa. Yeah, you're like oh this is cool I can yeah. keep doing this and I can keep doing this and then it's it it doesn't hit you quick it just slowly builds up. And then all of a sudden, you've been doing this for months. And you're burnt And out. you're burnt. And you look at yourself, and you're not happy. Mm-hmm. you got bags in your eyes. And you're just, like, dragging your feet into the office. Not not a good place. But it's hard to recognize. It's hard to, like, be like, oh, I I need yeah. to get out of this. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And we were talking about it earlier. You have to get outside the problem. Yeah. You have to step away, whatever it is, Step, take a look at what's going on, diagnose it, and make it the adjustments. So... It's so hard when you're in the middle of it. And even you might know you're in the middle of it and you still don't know what to do. The route to you know, getting out of it is making sure that your work-life balance is where it needs to be and you're enjoying your job. Yeah. If you're not enjoying your job, the only thing you can do is make that adjustment one way or the other. Either you, know, you seek advancement somewhere else or you find somewhere else to work in general. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. That's why the turnover is so high in aviation. Is I say this, like, an airport isn't competing really with anything other than I don't even know what it would compete like like Westchester like it just exists as Westchester so there's it's never gonna not exist as a business it's never gonna merge with another airport yeah it's never gonna you know go bankrupt <laughs> if, an, if an airport is going bankrupt we have bigger problems yeah it's a big problem so there's really no um, there's no motivation to kind of treat people the way like Google employees are treated there's no motivation to um, you know, operate the, like there's a difference between a manager and a leader, and there's no. Uh, you did a, uh, a link. I got this new MacBook. Yeah. Remember that like Hurricane Ida? Yeah. Yeah, I got destroyed in the city. It was syllabus week, and I had. Oh, to. I remember. Yeah. I remember you texted me about that. Yeah. yeah. And um. so this is the product of it. Anybody at home is really confused right now. So the podcast recorder stopped recording. So we were. It's disappointing because we were on Fuego. We were on. We were going. Yeah. We were on a, <laughs> a good tangent there. So uh, wait, before we go, does that mean I have the M1 or the M2? Do you know? Uh, you have the M1. Okay, that's yeah. fine. That's good to know. Yeah. Oh, stored right up here. So we were talking about the difference between being a manager and being a leader and uh, why Jocko, um, people like that, it's good to listen to. You know, when you're flying, you want to lead, you don't want to micromanage. You know, I think it's a good time to talk about micromanaging because what does it do? It drives everybody away. Away. Far, far away. <laughs> far, far away. Especially when you have, it's our, airports are already bureaucratic. Like, they're already functions of government. Like, you don't need to make them any more bureaucratic than they are. But, you know, you have so many managers that just, they don't get that. Not that they don't get that. They, like they, they only make it worse. And it's just, you know, you wonder why the turnover rates are high. You know, you you look at things and you're like, oh well, everybody's going to get better jobs. It's like, well, they wouldn't be leaving. Yeah. <laughs> if you weren't micromanaging, it's tough because you can't really bring specific examples. You just hear stories from friends, and maybe you have your own experiences. Um, that's neither neither here nor there. The point is. Um, you never want to lead in a micromanaging environment or manage in a micromanaging. Kind of twisted my words there. It's okay. I think they got. They understood what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah. And then I think when we're talking about like workload and stuff, workload management, workload management, you you don't want to overload yourself. So 
What I mean by that is when you do too much, you're going to burn yourself out. And that's a hard, like, you can do a lot. But what's the saying? The jack of all trades, the master of none. Yeah. Yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. So it's funny. Until you, like, until you get outside the problem, you know, like, you know, um, admittedly where, where I'm going to be going, we don't do quite as much in operations. But I'm kind of looking forward to that because I felt like for a while, i got to be careful here. Let me back that up. <laughs> uh, I might leave that in, honestly. You know, I talk to people at other airports, you know, like, wow, they're very knowledgeable and stuff. And operations is unique in the sense that no matter what airport you go to, they probably do something different than the airport you were at before. When you're concentrating on so many minute details, it gives you all, it doesn't really give you time to, to be in the books or advance your career, like, well, and again, this isn't like a fault of where we worked. It's just the way things flow sometimes, right? There, there is a provision in the contract where if anybody at operations at home knows what the ACE is, um, Airport Certified Employee, and it's like a, it's like a degree in proficiency through AAAE, which is like the standard for American airports. It's the whole thing. But if you get the degree, Joel is the union president, so he was one of the ones that helped get this provision in there. To uh, a airport certified employee, you get $500 reimbursed. Plus the cost of the plus course. The cost, yeah. So you, you get a $500 bonus. Bonus, thank you. And Better word. The, the cost of the course and the books and all that were reimbursed to you as well. Yeah. So I talked to a lot of people because like, I spent the time and I did a lot of certifications, but a lot of other people just haven't done it. And I asked them and they say it's because I feel like I'm spending too much time doing other things that I can't study. And to me, that's an, that's an issue because when you have people saying that, it means that they're working above their capacity. Everybody has a capacity, right? And for everybody, it's different. So it's it's hard to to really, like, you know, it's a catch-22. Like, <laughs> if you're getting your ace in the middle of working a job like that, yeah, the odds are you're going home miserable at yeah. the end of the day. And that all, again, goes back to work-life balance and quality of life, mm-hmm. you know, um, and taking the job home with you at that point because then you're obviously we're not doing this job to work to learn extra and go to school on the job however in the small bits of downtime you should be able to have some study time during your lunch break during whatever you do there should be some downtime to study you shouldn't be working and then going home and then studying for two hours after that and then to come back to work. To <laughs> you can't get away from it. You can't get away from it. Yeah. And then... Uh, no, you're right, because uh, you immerse yourself in it, and there's just a line. Yeah. Especially yeah. if the job wants you to get this certification, they should maybe somehow find a way to make the time for you to be able to study mm-hmm. and have the time make it more to livable. do it, you know? Because I know a lot of airport... It differs from... I'm not saying there's one right way and the wrong one wrong way. Not saying that this is a right way or a wrong way, but it's just a common trend I find is people are too overworked in what they're doing right now. It's a, like this at the end of the day, it's an entry level job. Same thing when you're a pilot. I'm sure you have entry level pilot jobs you can do. Yep. But if you're if you're overworked, I mean, time is great. Don't get me wrong. Everything's based on time. But you have an end goal. You should be working every day to get a little closer to that end goal. Correct. So something like the ACE will get you a little bit closer to where you want to be, one way or the other. Yeah. I tell people even if. You know, you don't see yourself in operations. You see yourself in flight dispatching or something. It shows proficiency in what you were doing. Yeah. Like, it's it's important to show those things on your resume. So, yeah, as a, as a leader, I'm going to start saying leader, you need to make sure your team is put in an environment 
to set themselves a little closer to their goal every day. And uh, part of that as an individual, you, Joel, is making sure that you're figuring out what, like, what you're good at, what you need to help, help with. You know, part of it is realizing what you're good at and focusing on that and then building everything around that. Yeah, and, you know, that's a huge thing for not just aviation, anywhere in life. You find you started a job, entry level, you work your way up, you work your way around, you see what you like, you find what you like, and you focus in on it. Mm-hmm. you polish your craft that's that's what it is you know you polish your craft you get good at what you enjoy you you know you excel at it because you enjoy it you know we yeah. we excelled at airport ops because we loved it yeah. there were so many aspects of our job there were some aspects that you excelled at more than me some aspects that i excelled at more than you Absolutely. some aspects that both of us hated <laughs> and we both would just throw our hands in the air like yeah but we're yeah, not touching that yeah. you know um but we do it when we needed to, like getting um, getting those fuel buckets and getting the snapping turtles in the middle of the summer. Uh, it's, a, it's an annual thing, too. An There's annual, always one or the, two snapping turtles yeah, out there. The Great Migration, you yeah. know. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed that. I love taking the pickup truck out and getting the big fuel bucket and shuffling a yeah. snapping turtle in, driving him across the field, dumping him outside the fence. But, you know, some people hated that. Yeah. Some bird strikes, anything. You know, I, I was never a fan of going to pick up dead birds off the runway. Right. Some other people oh, were like, oh, yeah, send me. Let me go do it. I'm like, yeah, have <laughs> so, fun. Do you want to tell the story of the one big one? I think you know what I'm talking about. Where the, it was the, in- the one <laughs> the one where a coworker of ours picked up a dead skunk off the oh, runway. Oh, my God. And threw it in the back of our brand new Tahoe. The brand new. The brand new Tahoe. The brand new. And this was the middle of the summer. And, I know. And they we can tell up, these stories. We can. Oh, they picked up a dead skunk that was rolled over in the middle of the night. It was probably like one in the morning because it was it was, it was midnight like, shift. The, some airplane landed, rolled a dead rolled a skunk on the runway, blew it to pieces. Mm-hmm. This person put the skunk just straight in the trunk, <laughs> not in a bag, not in anything else. Just picked it up and threw it in the trunk. And that car stunk for months, no matter what we did. It was horrendous. It wouldn't go away. It I wouldn't go that. away. I, I remember we came in the next morning. We're like, why are the windows down? And we heard. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> it was terrible. But it's, it's such a good lesson because um, I use this as an example. No matter what your role is in aviation, you can't panic. And what happened there? They yeah. panicked. No, they didn't panic. They, they did the job. Right. Theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> Theoretically, they did the job. The job is to get the FOD off the runway as quickly as possible. And that a dead skunk is FOD. And a dead skunk is FOD, and they got the FOD off the runway as quickly as possible. Was it the middle of the night? Could they have taken a few more minutes to figure it out? Maybe get the pickup truck with the bed and a bucket to put the remains in? Literally anything else. Literally anything else? Maybe. But they did their job. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not, nobody's mad about that. <laughs> Just yeah. that it could have been a little bit different. Absolutely. I mean, think about it too. If you're a pilot and something's going on and uh, you know is just wrong, like your instincts kick in, right? It's how you train. Absolutely. So that's why training before anything, like, I personally thoroughly enjoy training because that's how you're going to react in a world situation. Absolutely. And how, like, and people don't understand, like, the responsibility is on the leaders. No matter, What's going on is if you have people that aren't performing, if your team sucks, if you're a baseball coach, you guys are 10 and 40, you can't sit there and say, like, well, I'm trying my best. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not doing something. Yeah. You're doing something wrong. Yeah, exactly. You, you gotta you gotta figure it out and improve on it. Exactly. Because if you're a pilot, you don't have like, a, like yeah, we, a, pilots can't have bad days. Exactly. You, can, you can't say, "Oh, oops," you know. <laughs> you have to react. You have to kick back to your training you know we kick back to the sims what do you go through what do we spend all the time in the sims for it's not mm -hmm. just checking the box yeah we're not sitting flying the pattern on blue beautiful blue sky days no we're in the worst of the worst you know single engine approaches bad weather gear malfunctions brake malfunctions all of this bad stuff that's what we train for we train for the bad days you don't train for the good days because exactly. the good days are bound to happen exactly the bad days are what you don't expect you, the adversity you know and you can't you can't teach that in a classroom yeah that's why you train on it yeah um, no matter what um, you know uh, I guess training modules are put your way or something you have to take the initiative to to train the way you're gonna react so do you hear that plane going yeah, one, I, one? I do yeah <laughs> I, I convenient. I tactically picked out my apartment when I moved here six years ago, but anyways, to what I'm saying is uh, that's why you can't take the cheap route on training. Um, you know, I read a lot of books on it, and why organizations succeed and some fail is uh, you know there's a lot of emphasis put on training because if you invest in your people, they'll invest back at you. It's plain and simple. And I had a point with that again. This is just not. <laughs> it's the ADHD man. Off this on is you. why I can't fly. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, what I wanted to talk about too is networking. Like obviously, huge. yeah, the, huge. How, I, you're talking to no one better but yourself, and how important <laughs> networking is. Because you know, aviation, no matter what your role is, you're going to be exposed to a bunch of different paths. So I always try to talk about networking a little bit because it's hard for people to understand how important it is until you need it. Yeah, and uh, again, the person I was hanging out with earlier today, I, I told him, I was like, listen, it doesn't matter who you meet, you need to make a connection. You need to, don't write anybody off. It doesn't matter if they're a line person, if they're fueling your airplane, if they're vacuuming your airplane, it doesn't matter. Make a connection, meet everybody you can, network. Give, show yourself in the most positive light and be true, you know, be, be yourself. Don't you know, be fake because people pick up on that quick. But aviation is such a small community that everybody knows you through like one degree of separation. How many people were we talking about today that have left jobs at Westchester? I've been gone for two years now. For the last two years, I have gotten texts from multiple major airports asking, hey, do you know this person? And I say, yes. And what do they ask you? And then they say, would you recommend them to work here? We're thinking of offering them a job. And then I can give an honest response. Fortunately, everybody that I've been texted about has been fantastic. They've all been offered jobs. I believe they've all taken these jobs. I'm super thrilled for them. Yeah. So happy. But aviation is small. And your reputation precedes you in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And people... People remember you, they remember your name, they remember what you did, good or bad, and it's huge. And a lot of times how you come back from like adversity or something, that says more than anything else. Um, like, hey, this person was going through this and they got through it. Like, that's what a lot of people, the, the point is, like, people are going to put their reputations on the line for you. You've been reached out to, and it's not, you're not like hooking people up with a job that don't deserve it because that reflects you that doesn't exactly. reflect anybody else exactly you know yeah. I, I don't vouch for people that I don't think don't deserve the job mm -hmm. you know but if you 
worked hard and you deserve the job and you're a genuine person, I will vouch for you. I will put my reputation on the line. And I care a lot about my reputation. It's gotten me very far in this industry. <laughs> and I'm super beyond like grateful for that. And the, yeah. the, the network I've built and the people I know and the close friends that I've I've made over the years from opening a stupid Instagram account. <laughs> well, it is remarkable because I do want to say like you are still very, very young in aviation. And you know, obviously everybody matures, and, but you can hear, well, just hearing you talk, you could see how you're learning about the industry, how you're taking these lessons and you're applying them to your everyday professional life and because your Instagram, your personal life as well, in a good way. And there's like a happy medium. We talk about that medium. I'm sure the Instagram is the same thing where, you know, you, you want to network, but you don't want to overdo it. Yeah, um, and there definitely was a point in my life where I was like just sucked into this Instagram thing and every time I could post and talk and this and that, I would do too much. I think I've found that happy medium now. I post like regular pictures every once in a while. I post stories a little more often, usually when I'm eating like good food or doing some <laughs> other foodie. crazy something. Again, it's it's interacting. It's talking with people. It's you know, people respond to my stories. I have no idea who this person is. I'll talk to you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you. I'll talk. You want to have a conversation? Cool. Yeah, I'll have a conversation with you. I'm. You know, you don't write anybody off, and know. and you interact with other people as well, um, and it makes a huge difference. Yeah. No. I and like that's the one thing that was good with us is we were on the same page. Where I grew up next to an airport that had like five flights a day, and that was at its peak. You know, so I didn't really have much of a outlet. Or inlet, I guess. I don't know. That would be an inlet into aviation, right? So we always said, like, if somebody approaches us, wherever they reach out to us, we're going to be open to them. And, that, again, that's why, Matt, you're still a good friend of us. Yeah. Um, Kyle, I hope you better damn well be listening. <laughs> um, and, you know, other people that have been in the Westchester area, this is their, like, World Series, you know, not World Series, like their Yankee Stadium. I don't know. Does that make sense? Uh, this is like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Thank you. Thank you. That's you much know, better. You can see you can see everything here from the beginning of time to yep. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we got it all at Westchester, I which is really all. cool. It's, it's very rare. The only thing this airport doesn't do is cargo. Yeah. Because we do military. Mm-hmm. Rare, but we do but military. It's there, and it's a nice surprise. when it, yeah. You know, it's like you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we had some POTUS visits this year. I wish you, you were there. I saw the photo on the wall, though. It's, pretty, <laughs> yeah. it's a pretty cool photo they left. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, yeah, it's funny because we have to explain to people they didn't land They didn't land the <laughs> <laughs> They just gave us a good photo. It's the stock photo. Thanks for letting us use your runway. <laughs> <laughs> so we had some cool stuff going on. Obviously, you're wearing the G700 hat from MBAA. Yes, uh I'm wearing the G700 hat. When I went to MBAA, they had all the Gulfstream hats out, and I asked where the G550 hat was, and they said, well, we don't make the airplane anymore, so we're not making the hat anymore. And I was distraught, because the G550 is the greatest corporate jet ever to be built, hands down, We've bar none. Kind of a, I like, I don't, you can tell me whatever you want. It's wrong. The G550 is the greatest airplane ever. The G700, the hat that I'm wearing, is going to be the second greatest corporate jet to ever be built. Although it can't get into Aspen. But yeah, no, that, that the, was the a point of contention can. for us. That's such a good point because, like, the 550 is probably the largest you can get. Because there's a lot of airports that are restricted to 100 feet, yeah. Aspen being one of them. You're right, because the G650 is too big. We have tenants on the field that have Falcons because the G650 is too big. Yep. And I think I hear stories like that in other places, too. So, like I said, they live in a different world. Just understand that. 
corporate aviation is a different i hear people that have good stories i hear people that have got bad stories a lot of it's your experience that's with everything yeah no it's so true it is with everything there's really no telling what you're signing up for when you get into corporate aviation. Did you? Uh, I, obviously, you're happy now. Um, I'm thrilled. Did you talk to people before you went in? Like my point with this is like, do companies' reputations proceed as well? Uh, like, did you have a good idea what you're signing up for? Yes, I had a great idea what I was signing up for. A good friend of mine who uh, has just moved on to the airlines. Actually, oh, good. For he you. Uh, he was here at my company prior, and he helped get me in the door. And he had been here for a year before I got on on property and had given me insight into how the company operates, what to expect, all of that stuff. And so, you know, coming in, I knew kind of what to expect. Obviously, I knew corporate aviation. I knew we're going to be flying last-minute trips. We're going to be flying scheduled trips. We're going to be flying up and down the coast, New York to Florida, northeast to Florida, Florida to the Caribbean, all this stuff. And then from, again, all of my other friends in aviation, I had an idea of what to expect as a charter pilot. I had an idea of what to expect going into this side of aviation, the, the level of, of everything that these people, the, the customers expect things to be at when they're paying thousands of dollars an hour to operate a private jet. You know, this is not just commercial airline first class. This is a step above. They want, you know, their brand name Diet Coke. They don't want coke they want pepsi only on the airplane or they want this special brand or special flavor of tate's chocolate chip cookies whatever it is and that's that's the level that we have to operate at and i thoroughly enjoy it i i the the customers i've met the people i've met the people we've flown have all been fantastic i really have nothing bad to say about anybody and the opportunity to meet some of these people and form a connection with them is amazing and it's something that that is rare, you know. To, yeah, you to, can't do that. To, I mean, commercial aviation is great, but you can't do that there. Yeah. yeah very I mean, rare, at least. Very rarely. But, you know, to, to have down-to-earth conversations with sports athletes and CEOs and high, high-ranking executives to have just a normal conversation with them, ask them about how their day was, what's going on in their life, tell them how our day is going, where we're going next, what we're doing, how do we enjoy this airplane, Anything like that, just the small things, it makes a huge difference. And the best part is, is when you see a trip pop up and you're flying that person again, and they they requested you guys to fly them because they enjoyed flying with you. That's got to be a they, great feeling. Exactly. So uh, there's there's not much better than that. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because you deal with the that type of clientele. Let's call it. Um, I don't know if I told you this story, how um, Republic Airways, they started the Boston flight about yeah. a year ago. didn't last very long. But, you know, the one thing that they said about it is the first-class seats were always sold out. You better believe they were sold out. And uh, quickly, Westchester was the most disliked airport for Republic crew members because uh, I heard one story where a flight attendant was like, hey, how are you doing today? Like, just welcoming. And then the, the lady was like, I don't talk to the help. <laughs> just wow. walked, walked to her seat. Wow. Um, so that I heard that story, and that, that made it to us through reliable sources. So, you know, <laughs> when you hear stuff like that, you know, you just you don't realize that, you know, we're immersed in aviation. We see things as they are, but that doesn't always that mean we everybody sees things the way we see things. Like that lady thought she was flying on a G650. I'm sorry, it's an Embraer 175, ma'am. And go take your main comfort seat, sit down. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> But that's again. That's anywhere. You know, you could someone could walk into the coffee shop and the barista. Hey, how's your day going? Oh, what? 
they'll, <laughs> they'll get real snooty with you. Yeah, but you learn how to deal with that, right? But Do you, you feel you, like you, you can deal with that more now than ever? Absolutely. I mean, listen, working at the airport that we worked at and dealing with this type of level of clientele. Some of the phone calls we get. Some of the phone calls we get, some of the passengers' disruptions and you know disturbances that we've had to deal with in the terminal. And, are our flights delayed? Are they canceled our flight after they delayed us for six hours? There's only so much that we can be done. There, that can be done, and there's only so much we can do. And at the end of the day, like everything's done in the matter of safety. Yeah, and, you know, it's all safety. And it sounds like corporate jargon, but it's so true. It is. It's so true because I promise, it's a, there's a big saying we have as pilots that you'd rather be on the ground wishing you were in the air than in the air wishing you were on the ground. Uh, yeah, that's, I've never heard of that, and I love that. Yeah, it sounds so like a tattoo. I I promise you, if your flight's ever delayed or canceled or anything like that. There's a reason. Don't, don't, don't fight it. Just, it sucks. It sucks. I, I airline as well. I fly on the airlines a lot. Once every two weeks, if not more. Gets you to your job. Gets me to my job. Gets me home. Gets me to go see friends. When my flight's delayed, when my flight's canceled, it's frustrating. I totally get it. But boy, would I much rather be on the (laughs) ground than yeeting it through a thunderstorm or a hurricane or a snowstorm or God knows what. Hope just in a rattling tin can at 500 miles an hour, hoping, hoping that we make it out to the other side, saying, "Damn, I wish I did not get on this flight." Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, I get it. Again, we don't want to get into too much, but like that, we look at stuff like the Kobe incident. You know, there was a lot of pressure on that pilot to fly that, that day. Yeah, somebody like like it's it not to fault the pilot like i wasn't in that situation i wasn't having one of the greatest basketball players of all time saying i need to get to this this place but there's some a lot of times where that unfair pressure is put on by people that don't understand how important the safety aspect is you know and there's a lot of crashes unfortunately where the same thing plays out or something similar plays out i guess that was a very unique day yeah unfortunately everything in aviation is written in blood that's how you learn unfortunately that's the best way I think uh, most people when they're young, like, I watch those documentaries all the time. Yeah. I'm going to close with this. Yeah. That we all talk about this. Aviation is reactionary. Yeah. In everything that we do. There is nothing in this industry that we do that is really proactive. We set rules and we set regulations and we do all these things, but nothing changes until something big happens and forces that change. Um, And again, it's not just in the flying airplane side, it's in the management side, it's in our personal lives side. You can take that back to how much we work. We're reactionary to it. We work, we work, we work, and then all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, I'm doing 70 hours a week. I haven't been home. I haven't seen my girlfriend. I haven't seen my dog, my cat, whatever you want to call it. You have a huge revelation. You're like, I gotta stop working overtime. I gotta cut back. I gotta. I got to find time for me. We see how it works in the airline side. Airlines are pushing their schedules to such a thin margin. You know, they're scheduling a a flight crew to fly 11 hour and 50 minute duty day. They time out at 12 hours. That's a 10 minute margin for something to go wrong. And hypothetically, this happen. Hypothetically, from Norfolk to Westchester to Florida to Westchester back to Norfolk. Or something of the Something sort. of that night. <laughs> Some, something of that nature. Or, you know, Charleston to Westchester to L.A. Yeah. <laughs> there's a minimal margin of error. And then all of a sudden, you're seeing that error happening over and over and over. And then you're like, huh, 
maybe we should change something. Yeah. That is one thing about aviation I wish we were better at, is being more proactive and looking at things from a bigger picture. Because we always talk about the great, the big picture, the greater picture, whatever you want to call it. We talk about it a lot when like talking with air traffic control. Because air traffic control is giving us an edict, and we're looking at our route of flight, and we're like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But we're not understanding the greater picture of how going into New York on a Friday afternoon, New York approach can only handle 200 airplanes at a time. There's 180 airlines going in at that time. Teterboro is trying to push 60 airplanes an hour. Westchester is trying to push. At Whatever it may be. There's a greater, you know, there's a big picture to all of it. And that's... Like nowadays, like when swap goes into effect, that's the like that's not even reactionary anymore. That is getting ahead of the game because yeah. New York puts swap into effect hours before the weather hits because they know it's going to happen and they're yeah. like, you know what, we're going to get ahead of this. We're going to get everybody on a route. We're going to get everybody squared away. And yeah, it sucks, but it works. Right. You know, if if more aviation could be like ahead of the game like that, it'd be better. It no, would be better. One hundred percent. You're right. And. You know, it's it's easy for people to complain about the pilot shortage now. Obviously, there's a staffing issue. Yeah. But don't forget what caused the staffing issue in the first place, the Colgan crash. Yeah. I had said this in the last one. I think the sorry, yeah, the, the, the first officer, sorry, was a Starbucks barista as her main job. And she was hustling. And she took like a – she deadheaded on like a cargo flight or something that day and got no sleep and was like flying on like over 24 hours without sleep or something. Yeah. And we talked about that. We just talked about how important it is to not do that. And so aviation as a whole reacted to that. So you're right. There's just major urge, uh, urge need to react. And you can try to be as proactive as, as you can be. And that's the whole point is that the safety is you need to be as proactive as you can be. But you need to be ready to react Yeah. when something happens. And the same thing, you could see it on a big scale like that. Or you could see it as something as simple as like a little indication showing up. And you have to make sure you... Check all your boxes to make sure that you're still flying that fly- that plane safely. Yeah, you know, because you can't, like you said, you can't have a bad day. You can't, you know. That's what I would like to to close with. Yeah, and no. For everyone that works in aviation, I know it's not like we can we we you can be the change. We can all be the change, <laughs> whatever you want to say. But hopefully, as the time progresses, we become way more proactive in oh, like. In everything, not just mm-hmm. safety, in everything, because it makes a difference. One thing leads to the next thing, which leads to the third thing, which then leads back to safety. It's a big circle. If we can start being proactive in one aspect, it will trickle down and, you know, mm-hmm. help help the rest of the industry and, again, other industries as well. And then you would see productivity increase, people living better lives, yep. and ultimately, at the end of the day, everybody's safer. Yep. So that's a great point to end on, Joel. I think... You nailed the time, wow, almost to a T. So anything, any last closeout? What, when can we expect your first podcast episode? Drop? I don't know. I'm actually, like, really enjoying this, so <laughs> I may be purchasing some equipment in the near future. Just send, I could send you the link because this, this thing does a really good job. It's like there's little growing pains, as you just saw, but uh, once you nail it down, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, we're going to... I'm going to do a little bit of digging into this. The Ops 47 <laughs> podcast will be coming to you uh, probably in the next six to nine years. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Joel. All right. Cool. Thanks for coming on, bro. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. All right, everybody. Have a good night.